I'm so glad to have the privilege of standing before you on Easter Sunday and sharing once again the good news of Jesus Christ. The title of my message is, They Thought They Destroyed the Church. They thought they had torn it down. We were living in a general purpose tent. Those of you that have been in the military know what a GP tent is. It's a big tent. We were on the embassy grounds of the old, what had been the U.S. Embassy in Mogadishu, Somalia. And the building had pretty much been torn up. But uh, our, my staff and I slept in a GP tent there that had been set up on the grounds. And getting a good night's sleep was a bit of a challenge because there was still a good bit of gunfire going on down in Mogadishu and and a helicopter would fly over fairly regularly at night and and land in the the, uh, landing area there and other things would happen at night. Well, one, one night we had gotten a pretty good start at getting some sleep when all of a sudden there was noise under the floor. We had pallets for a floor. You know what a wooden pallet is. And, some, and, and on top of the pallets, we had laid uh, four by eight sheets of plywood. And I hadn't nailed it down, just laid it there. And some kind of an animal had gotten down in, in the pallets and was running around in there. And so, did you ever try to sleep with animals running around like that? And, and we couldn't get to sleep. I tried the pillow over the ear thing, and that wasn't working. And so, I, my staff woke up, and we turned on the lights, and I said, let's chase that thing out of there. And we tried chasing this animal out, and we couldn't do it. Finally, somebody got a look at it as it ran by one of the holes in the floor, and it was a mongoose. We had a, a mongoose running around under the floor. And the more we tried to get that mongoose out, the more it avoided us and evaded us. And so finally, being the senior officer in the tent, I decided to take command action and we were going to shoot it. <laughs> so so I, told the, uh, I told one of my sergeants, I said, Sergeant Jones, go up to the, to the security gate and there were a couple of Norwegians that were manning the security gate. I said, go up and tell those Norwegian soldiers that when they hear the shots down here at our tent, don't get alarmed because we're just shooting a mongoose. And uh, he said, all right, sir, and I'll, I'll do that. So he went up to the, to the gate, and uh, in a little while he came back with one of the Norwegian soldiers. And the Norwegian soldier asked me, what are you doing? And I, said, and I explained to him that we got a mongoose running around under the floor and we couldn't get rid of him, so we're going to have to shoot him. And he said, you're going to shoot Olaf? <laughs> I said, you mean this mongoose has a name? He said, yeah, it's Olaf. And I said, uh, do you know how to get rid of him? He said, Sure. And so he walked over to the edge of the floor, and I don't know what he said. It was something like, uh, uh, well, whatever Norwegian words would be. And, uh, and, and Olaf came running right up to him, and he picked him up, and he left. <laughs> Getting a good night's sleep in that tent wasn't always easy. One night, 
right in the middle of the night, there was a huge explosion in downtown Mogadishu. Just rattled our bones because the explosion was so loud. The next day we found out that that explosion was the Muslims in Mogadishu blowing up a beautiful old cathedral in downtown Mogadishu. It had been built by the Italian Christians a long time earlier. And they obviously thought that by blowing up the church, they would do severe damage to the Christian cause in Mogadishu and in Somalia. But some of you may remember that several months ago, I preached a sermon in which I introduced a fellow named Leonard. Leonard was a missionary from Kenya who I met who had come into Somalia, and Leonard said that he had led 53 families to salvation in Jesus Christ right there in Somalia, and more were meeting Christ all the time. And he said, and I'm only one missionary. There are more here. You see, they blew up the church, but they didn't destroy the church. They just blew up a building. They thought they destroyed the church, but they didn't. With that thought in mind, those Pharisees and Romans crucified Jesus Christ, and they thought they destroyed the church. They thought they ended his movement, but they did not. They thought killing him would end it. That's what they thought. But they had not counted on God. Jesus being killed was all part of the plan, you see. Hundreds of years earlier, the prophet Isaiah foresaw this very event and its significance. Isaiah 53, the very familiar chapter, Isaiah 53, and if you want to follow along, Isaiah 53, starting at verse 3, and it's a rather lengthy prophecy, but I'm going to read it to you because it's so significant. Isaiah 53, starting in verse 3, I'm reading from the New International Version. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of all of us. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, Though he had done no violence, 
nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And, the Lord, and though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, by right, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. That was written 700 years before Jesus Christ did it. It was prophesied. Now step forward with me. Something over 700 years. What Isaiah wrote about has just happened. Christ has just been crucified. They had all watched it happen. While he was hanging on the cross, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was 100% man and 100% God, how you can be 100% two different things, only God's math can figure that one out. But God was able to do that in Jesus Christ. He was 100% man, 100% God hanging on the cross. And he made seven statements from the cross. The first statement as one of his 100% man statements he said, he taught us how to forgive because he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So he was, he was a, a, a man hanging on the cross asking God on behalf of these men to forgive them. As God, he said, to the thief hanging on his right, today you will be with me in paradise, to Mary and John, as a man, Jesus took care of business. Jesus said, behold your son, behold your mother. Jesus was making sure that he, he did the responsible thing. He took care of his responsibilities to his mother. We're supposed to be about that, setting an example for us again, the importance of taking responsibility and honoring your parents. What a great example. The fourth statement from the cross, as the Messiah. This is so significant because it is at this moment that your sins, my sins, and oh, there are so many, and the sins of all mankind for all ages, past and in the future, piled up on Jesus. And God was not there to take them away. And Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was so alone. There are those who say, well, he was just quoting Psalm 22. 
verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? No. The writer of Psalm 22 was prophesying about what Jesus would say when he was forsaken by God. My God. He was so alone and forsaken at that time. He went through that for you and me. He was forsaken by God. And then, part of being 100% man, Jesus said, I thirst. He was thirsty. He was a man just like you and I are. But he never gave in to his temptation. He never sinned. And then, the sixth statement from the cross it is finished. The reason I came to this earth, the reason I've gone through everything I've gone through, the reason I've just been piled on with all the guilt of the world is finished. It's done. The plan that I've known about since Adam and Eve in the garden is finished. And then he knew he was dying. And as a man, reaching out to God again, oh God, into your hands I commend my spirit. Jesus speaking from the cross, what he went through for you and for me. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Now Christ has just been crucified and all the people have watched it happen. Jesus' body was taken down. It was put in a tomb. A heavy stone was rolled across the entrance. Just as Isaiah had prophesied, he was buried with rich people. Joseph of Arimathea put him in his own tomb. Joseph was a rich guy. And guards were posted the enemies of Jesus really thought they had won. They thought they had destroyed the church. They thought they had won. But Jesus had said long ago that this would happen. Back at the beginning of Jesus' ministry in John 2, 19, he said, Destroy this temple and I will raise it again three days later. He said, and the Jews replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. They didn't get it. He was talking about his body. Not only that, but as he was getting his disciples ready for his coming death, he told them, I will build my church. You've heard me use that one a bunch of times. I love it. He said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, will not overcome it. If the gates of hell wouldn't stop Christ's church, how did the Pharisees think a rock rolled over the opening would stop it? That's pretty dim. Or how do the Muslims think blowing up a church in downtown Mogadishu is going to stop the church of our Jesus Christ? It's not going to happen. You see, the church is going to be there, and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. Look at what actually happened on the first Easter. Luke 24, 1 through 8. 
Luke 24, 1 through 8. On the, the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Yeah. He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful man, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again? Then they remembered his words. But how does that affect us today? What difference does that make as far as we're concerned today? What does it do? How does it affect the church in 2019? What does it do for us? If Jesus is building his church and it will prevail over everything, over the gates of hell and everything else that's thrown against it. Why are so many churches today struggling? Why do so many Christians live defeated lives? Maybe there are some Christians in this room today who just don't have a sense of victory in your Christian life. You're living a defeated life. Satan comes at you and you're depressed or you give in to temptation or you just feel defeated in every turn that you take. Why does that happen? What is it? The great Chinese Christian writer and evangelist Watchman Nee his last name is spelled N-E-E, -E, and I encourage you to look him up online and read some of the, some of the writings of Watchman Nee. What a great Christian writer he was and great evangelist. But he said there are four principal rules for individual Christians and the church at large to experience victory in Christ. I'm going to go quickly over the four. Four principal rules. You might want to write these down. Number one, God gives victory to what he initiates. Am I initiating stuff and saying, okay, God bless it? Or am I looking to see what God is doing and getting involved with what God is already doing? Church, is that true with you? Individual, is that true with you? Are we looking to see where God is at work and getting involved with him? Is what I'm doing, God breathed. Is the life in our church, in this church, God breathed. Is my personal lifestyle God directed? Number two, God blesses and gives victory to those that depend on him for success. He gives victory to those that depend on him for success. Christians, church members, do we really pray for God's definition of success? We tend to have our own definition of success, don't we? Success is big numbers. 
the, the way that we've always seen success in our, in our lives. Success is uh, if you can wear fancy clothes and all that stuff. But God's definition of success is to be faithful to God's calling in our life and leave the results to him. Adoniram Judson was a missionary in Burma in the uh, early 1800s. When Adoniram Judson went to become a missionary, he went seven years before he had his first convert. Was that successful? No, that wasn't. Yes, it was because he was following what God wanted him to do. As long as he was following the direction God gave him, then that's all that mattered. He was doing what God told him to do. He had his one convert. After 12 years, he had 18 converts. Slow moving. But then you see, God gave him a great ministry later on as time went on. But he didn't feel like he was having great success because it was moving so slowly. But it didn't matter because God's definition is, hey, do what I tell you to do and leave the results up to me. Compare Adoniram Judson with Dr. Billy Graham. Boy, Billy Graham just started. Things went great. He preached to millions of people. But I heard, maybe some of y'all heard Billy Graham when he was in his 80s being interviewed by uh, Larry King. I think Billy Graham may have been in his uh, mid to late 80s. And Larry King was talking to him about end-of-life things. And, and he said, uh, now you're obviously, you know, you're getting toward the end of your life and, and uh, you believe in heaven and you believe in God. And when you uh, go stand before God, what do you think God is going to say to you, Billy Graham? I, you think God's going to roll out the red carpet, I'll bet. And Billy Graham said, I just hope he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And I'm not sure he will. That was Billy Graham. Because you see, what he was saying was, God has given me so many opportunities. Have I used them the way God wanted them to be used? What's the definition of success? What about you and I? What is our success rate? When we see an opportunity to serve the Lord in some special way, to share our testimony, to do something good for a neighbor in the name of Christ, when we see an opportunity, do we do it? If we don't, that's a negative. If we do, that's a good thing. Let's be positive about depending on uh, God for success, giving our victory, being faithful to our calling in our life and leave the results to him. Number three, God gives victory to what is done according to his word. Get a word from God and go with it. There are four ways we've talked about that I believe that, uh, and we learned this from the book Experiencing God, four ways that God talks to us in our prayer time, in our Bible study time, from the counsel of godly people, and uh, from um, circumstances in life. There, that's the, the four main ways. But once in a while, God talks to us in, in unusual ways. you got to be careful with this. I was in uh, the Saudi Arabia, I believe it was. It was. It was in one of the Middle East countries. And I was asleep on my cot. 
and I had a dream. Now, I, most of the time, I think you just dream about stuff that you think about during the daytime. You've got to be careful putting too much oomph into, into dreams. But I had this dream, and W.A. Criswell was still pastor at First Baptist Church in Dallas at the time. How many of y'all remember W.A. Criswell? Okay. Do you remember his jowls? He had big jowls. And, 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 and W.A. Criswell was looking me straight in the face, and he pointed his finger at me, and he said, Joe, preach the gospel. And his old jowls flapped like that. He said, preach the gospel. And then he said, all the, and I don't know why he threw this in, but he said, all the potlucks in the world are not worth a hill of beans if you don't preach the gospel. Well, Well, that was already what I was about. I was, you know, preaching the gospel was my thing. You know, that's what I, what I wanted to do. And so that was affirmation. But I got up the next morning, and my devotional that morning, where I had gotten to, was in the book of Matthew. And uh, where's that? <laughs> anyway, it's that b- verse in Matthew that says, What I tell you in the night. Oh, here it is, Matthew 10, 27. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Whoa! He had just, I just got a word in a dream, an affirmation in the scripture. Now, you got, like I say, you got to be careful putting too much weight on those things. But it just affirmed that I'm supposed to preach the gospel. You know, God gives victory to what is done according to his word. And that's what we're supposed to be about. And number four, God promises blessings and victory for what is done for his glory. Not for our glory. It's for his glory. Would we do what we do in this church and in our private lives if we knew no one would ever know that we were doing it? Would you do what you do, the good things you do, if you knew you would never get any credit for it whatsoever? Whatsoever. When you're by yourself, do you pray before you eat? Do you do things for people and never let them know you did it? I challenge you. I challenge you this week. Do something for somebody that's kind and don't ever tell them. And don't tell your spouse. And don't tell your kids. And don't tell anybody. Do something. And three years from now, you can say, hey, neighbor, you remember when your electric bill got paid back in 2019? That was me. No, don't do that. <laughs> just don't ever tell a soul. Do, I just challenge you. See, you'll see how hard it is. But do something and just say, okay, God, you get the glory for this. Use whatever good I have done for your own personal glory. Give the glory to God. I challenge you to do that. It's harder than it looks. 
Give the glory to God if you ever, in, in any way you can, give the glory to God. A good biblical example of Watchman Nee's four principles is found in the story of Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. The Lord initiated it. They depended on God. It was done according to God's word. And the Lord got the glory. You can read about it in Acts 13, 2 through 12. For those of you taking notes, Acts 13, 2 through 12. It's a wonderful illustration of the four principles from Watchman Nee. Well, they thought they destroyed the church in Mogadishu, but they didn't because Leonard and others were continuing to lead people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Satan would love to destroy the church right here in the United States. But let's don't let him. Let's let Jesus Christ be paramount in our own lives. And let's share the faith that we have in Jesus Christ with others. They didn't destroy the church. They just blew up a building. The Pharisees thought they destroyed Christ's movement by destroying his old house, his body. But the church was not destroyed at all. On the first day of the week, Jesus Christ rose from the grave. Up from the grave, he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. He arose the victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose. He arose. Hallelujah. Christ arose. Amen. Christ arose. He was seen by many people. He was seen by Mary Magdalene. He was seen by Peter. He was seen by the ten apostles. That was when Thomas wasn't there. And then he was seen a bunch of times by the eleven apostles. He was seen by the two people on the road to Emmaus. He was seen by 500 brothers at one time. He was seen by Paul the apostle on the road to Damascus. He was seen by a bunch of people during that period of time when he arose and, and when he went up to heaven. Oh, Jesus Christ arose. Thank you, Lord. He's alive. Now, what that says is, he has done his part. His part was to provide redemption for you and me. Do you remember when we were doing our study on what, on this I believe? We talked about the Bible, and the purpose of the Bible was to share the Word of God, and the primary message of the Bible was redemption. And the purpose that Jesus came to earth was to provide redemption. Redemption meaning that you and I are lost without Christ, but He came to provide us, to pull us out of our lost state and make us redeemed. Like if we were hocked in, an old, in the devil's hock shop, we are redeemed from that by the blood of Jesus Christ. But we have to want to be redeemed. So what we have to do is accept his death as payment for our sins. Invite him to come into our lives. Repent from our sin and say, oh God, I I, I'm sorry. I accept Jesus death for, as payment for my sin and I want you to come into my life and to be my master and my Lord. I give myself to you 
from now on, you be my master. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you not only for dying, but for coming back to life. Thank you, Lord. Would you bow your heads with me, please? As I said, Jesus has done his part. Now you do yours. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That son was crucified. He went through the terrible agony, not only of the physical pain, but the guilt, the terrible estrangement from God, and then the resurrection. He went through it all just for us so that all we have to do that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Believeth in him shall not go to hell but have everlasting life. Would you give yourself to Christ today? He's done his part. Do yours. Believe on him. Would you pray a prayer accepting Jesus Christ right now? The prayer, the words are not so specific, but the meaning is very important. A prayer something like this. Dear Jesus, I know I've sinned, and I understand the penalty for sin is eternal death. Right now, I accept your death as payment for my sin. I ask you to come into my life and to be my master and Lord. Thank you for paying the penalty for my sin. Jesus, I give myself to you. Thank you for dying coming back to life and providing a way for me for eternal life. Did you pray that prayer? Did you accept him as your Lord and Savior just now? In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to have counselors standing here at the front. And if you want to know the next step you take in making Jesus Christ Lord of your life, I'll invite you just to go out to the aisle and come down and talk to one of these counselors. And they'll pray with you and talk to you about next steps to take. It's the most important decision you'll make in your entire life. Dear Jesus, I pray that you'll give people confidence to take that next step. Would you please stand, folks? And Christians, I'll ask you to keep on praying. And if you have a decision you want to make for Christ, please come. Make that decision right now. One of these counselors will talk to you. We have ladies and men counselors at the front. You come on as we take these next few minutes just to wait for you to make your commitment to Christ. Dear Jesus, I pray that you'll move, that you'll work according to your plan and your purpose in this congregation right now. We pray for you to move and help us to be serious about our relationship with you. Oh God, we love you so. And we thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving yourself for us.
my goodness, what you've done. How could we do less than commit ourselves to you? Dear Jesus. Are there others? While we wait just these couple of minutes. I'll lead us in a closing prayer in just a moment. But when I do, the counselors will still be here at the front. And I invite you to make your way to one of the counselors and talk to them about next steps that you need to take in your commitment to Christ. And they'll be glad to talk to you about how the Lord can work in your life and to share with you about what the Lord wants to do. Father, thank you for loving us so. Thank you for this wonderful Easter time. Thank you for the commemoration of your resurrection that was all built on the love that you have for us. Thank you that you gave yourself for us. What a hard time you went through, but what love you have for us. Thank you for that love. Now go with us from this place, I pray. Thank you for the sweetness and the joy that we experience now. And help us to have a wonderful time now as a community of believers, enjoying the fellowship and good time to be had outdoors now. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Next week, we'll talk about how Christians love. I look forward to seeing you then. God bless you.